Are you feeling stuck, lost, or confused about what to do next in your career? Then the Manifest Your Career podcast is just right for you. I'm your host, Dr. Norma Reyes, a career mindset coach. I help successful Latinas who are battling self-doubt, self-sabotage, and imposter syndrome. I teach my clients how to combine their intuition, skills, and knowledge so that they can manifest their dream career. It's time you start listening to your inner wisdom and guidance. Tune in each week to the Manifest Your Career podcast and learn how to align your mindset to your career goals. Keep listening and together we'll manifest your dream career. Hey guys, welcome back. This is episode 44, and today I have another guest interview for you. I have Monica Zanice. She's a Lanex LPC certified in rehabilitation counseling and a mental health coach located in Dallas. Monica helps ambitious women and entrepreneurs overcome anxiety perfectionism and burnout so that they can feel confident both in life and business. Monica was featured in Women's Health Magazine, Very Well Mine, and Insider Magazine. Monica is also the host of Café with Monica, where she brings in amazing entrepreneurs to cover all things life, mental health, and entrepreneurship. So guys, I can't wait for you guys to hear her career journey. Thank you for joining us, Monica. The first question I have for you is, can you tell us about your family background? Where did you grow up and who did you live with? Yeah, so I am from Laredo, Texas, so right on the border of Mexico. I lived most of my life with my grandparents, my cousins. My mom actually got pregnant at a very young age. Um, I think she was 16, 17 at the time. And so we just kind of like the stereotypical Mexican family. Like we all lived together. I grew up with so many cousins. Um, all of my tias were basically pregnant around the same time in the 90s. Um, so it was really nice because all of my cousins were around the same age. And it wasn't until like later on when I was in probably fifth, sixth grade, we moved to our own apartment, um, like away from my grandparents, but we were still really close. Like I had a really great bond with my grandmother. She was typically the one who was taking care of the kids. Um, and my mom was working. So my mom has always been a hard worker. And yeah, my grandparents were just my, like my people. I spent most of my time with them. I actually learned how to speak Spanish because of my grandma. My grandma would make me translate all of the letters that would come. And she would also make me read the Bible. Um, and I'm almost super grateful because I was learning English and Spanish at the same time, which I never knew how much that was going to be an asset for me in my career as I was like trying to get into like the workforce. Yeah, definitely. Right. Those blessings we don't even know are blessings at the time. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a beautiful upbringing. And you're from Texas. I'm near San Antonio. Oh, nice. Born and raised San Antonian. Just moved right outside of San Antonio. It's still considered San Antonio, but not. (laughs) 
Yeah. I love San Antonio. I feel like that was like my first city that I traveled to. And I loved it when my grandparents would take me out. They would be like, oh, mira las vaquitas. Or like, like I was just always amazed at like travel. And like, it wasn't until later on where I actually got to see things and go to other cities. But I loved San Antonio. It's amazing. Everyone should move here is what I, my husband jokes and laughs because he's like, oh, she, there she goes trying to convince you to move to San Antonio because it's awesome. So the next question I have for you is when you were young and people asked you what you wanted to be when you grew up, what do you recall telling them? I, I think when I was initially young, I wanted to be a lawyer and a criminal investigator. I think it was because I was watching too much Criminal Minds. And also, I think at the time, like Legally Blonde came out and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm good at arguing. And everybody in my family would say, you're good at arguing. And that's how it started. It wasn't until later on where I was like, okay, I'm going to be a child psychologist to quickly then realize that I do not like working with kids. I love kids, but I do not like working with them. Um, And so that definitely changed, but I was still interested in psychology. But yeah, so lawyer, criminal investigator, and then child psychologist were the three things in my childhood that I could remember I wanted to be. Yeah. Well, those are all very investigative and curiosity there. So, (laughs) you know, maybe that was the connection there. So um, who do you recall being some of your earliest career models that you imagine yourself being like? Yeah, I think for me, a lot of it was like based in the media, like, you know, people um, playing lawyers, like I said, or people playing criminal investigators. Um, My family, I mean, like my grandmother didn't work. Um, My mom was working at, um, at the time, like as a receptionist for a, so in Laredo, it's um, a lot import export. So a lot of like trucking companies and things. And my mom didn't finish high school. um, So she basically worked her way up in that field. And at the time, like that was all we knew what you could do in Laredo, like being in the truck service or whatever, or like a teacher, like those were the things that I knew, like I was experiencing or like I knew someone would, you know, have that job. But it was mostly me seeing things in the media that really opened up my mindset on like what I could do. So I can't really tell you like a specific person, like a maybe like a public figure that I that I admired. But I really just admired people on the media showcasing this like my favorite show is Criminal Minds. I just loved each and every character just like how um, oh, and also loved Law and Order SVU. I loved that show. And I just loved, um, I don't remember the actress's name, but I just loved her. Like she was just so empowering. And it was like the first time I saw someone, a woman in the media being portrayed as just like the leader and like the person who is like saving the, per- the like the, like the child or, and I just really love that. Like, I want to help other people. Like I want to be that helpful. I want to create that impact and change. So yeah, I think for me it was like actors and actresses is just weird right like we think about who we admired growing up and for me it was an actress that wasn't even actually a lawyer or wasn't even actually like a um like actual investigator yeah yeah but the role that she played and what she was showing right mm-hmm. so now tell us about your educational background did you attend college right after high school or did you do that later 
Yeah. So I actually attended a early college high school in Laredo. So when I graduated from my high school, I actually graduated with two years worth of college. So I was already considered a junior when I graduated from high school. So I did go to the university. I did two years in the university and I did a bachelor's in psychology with a minor in sociology. And then I went to pursue my master's of science in rehabilitation counseling at UNT. And yeah, that's, and then I did just did a uh, training to get my license for, um, licensed professional counselor. So that's, that was kind of my career path. Um, early college, high school, university, master's, very straightforward. Yeah. And did you have any struggles or challenges during any of your school? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you asked me about my family background and one of the things with my family background is because my mom was so young, like we would always bump heads and there was always a lot of things happening behind the scene as far as like, you know, people struggling with depression. Like my grandmother struggled with depression a lot. Like she had lost her mother from cancer. There was a lot of addiction in my family. So all of that, like going into the field of psychology and therapy, you are challenged to really be introspective and to kind of see your own family life and to see your own struggles and kind of unpack your traumas and things like that. And so for me, like a lot of the challenges, which was growing up, I was always this overachiever and constantly wanted this need to be perfect. And I quickly realized that seeking perfection, especially as a student would, was only going to lead me to a burnout and lead me to overextend myself, which did happen in 2015. Um, when I was in my master's program, I didn't realize how much commitments I had said yes to until it was too late until I found myself calling 911 because I thought I was having a heart attack, which that was actually my first experience with a panic attack and real, and then got diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I never knew that this was something that I had or that I was managing. And for some people, um, they would say it was like high functioning anxiety because I was able to mask. I was able to do everything on paper. And if you see, you're like an outsider looking in, you're like, oh my gosh, she's hitting her goals. Like, es una chingona. Like, she's doing all the right things. But, but I, but there was, some, but even like being an overachiever, there was a very unhealthy way of navigating that and navigating my achievements. Um, so, yeah, those were some of the challenges learning how to rest, learning how to not base my worth on my achievements were some of the challenges that I experienced through my education. And even then also another challenge was because I was so sheltered, I came from Laredo, Texas, predominantly Hispanic, that when I moved to do my master's at UNT, which was way more diverse than my hometown, I had to learn a lot more about diversity and inclusion, a lot more about the microaggressions happening around me because I hadn't realized that. Like I had never experienced that because when you're basically with your people, right? With the yeah. people that you grew up yeah. with that share that same ethnicity as you, like you don't get to deal with the microaggressions. I remember my first microaggression was when I was like working as a server and there's this white family and they're like, oh my God, you speak really good English. Like you, you, you speak English very well. And I was like, mm, well, yeah, I mean, I'm 
I'm American. Like, and that was like my first time that I, oh my God, this is a microaggression and I didn't even realize it. And it wasn't until I went to UNT and like was learning and had, now I was able to develop more friendships with other people of different ethnicities, different race. And I was like, oh my God, that was also a challenge because then I had to relearn um, just what I learned growing up, you know, um, learning about, I didn't know that there were some things that were considered racist because I grew up all with all Hispanic people, Latinos, and then realizing, man, like, even though I was part of minority, like there was also racism in part of my minority, but, you know, against black people. And so like all of those were challenges that I had to own up to. And I had to like, just, understand my biases because again, like in therapy in a therapeutic uh, master's program, you're going to get, have to learn all those things. You have to learn how to be a culturally competent therapist and be able to be open and understand all walks of life. So yeah, there was definitely some challenges. (laughs) Yes. Thank you for being so vulnerable with everything that you just said. And you made me think about so many different things. I myself am a licensed therapist as well. And you said something that stood out to me, you said about the microaggression. So growing up in San Antonio, of course, Latinos are the majority, right? And so I always would say that to some of my peers in my PhD program, like, hey, you know, I didn't face a lot of that racism that maybe you did. And they actually, I found like, then they were, you know, kind of telling me like, no, you just were, you're wrong, right? Like, how are you gonna tell me I'm wrong about my own experience? I'm telling you, I don't get mistreated. I don't have those things happening on a daily basis. Now, I'm not saying that I didn't ever, but I was a lot darker growing up because, you know, I was out in the sun more. I was very, very morena. So I did have it. But I think a lot of times, like you kind of mentioned, it was more within my own people that I faced that colorism. And uh, but one of the first times that it really stuck out to me that was a microaggression from a white person was uh, I was like in high school and we were like in a different area of town because mostly the Mexicans are mostly in the central to the south side of town, maybe northwest a little bit, right? Not really on the northeast side. And that one in San Antonio is a little more mixed now, but at the time it definitely was older white people. And so into this mall that used to be out there. And I remember asking a lady, where's the dressing room, right? Because I was going to try on some jeans. And she's like, oh, it's right there, right? And so I'm like about to go through the aisles. And she's like, oh, no, you can go through the like the walkway, right? So I wouldn't go through the aisles. I, at the time, I didn't understand like why she was telling me I need to walk all the way around. Like, how does that make sense? I can just cut like through through here. Right. And it, and it took a while to process that. I just knew that I was like, I knew there was something wrong. I didn't have the words for it at the time because I think I was like, I don't know, 17 or 18. I just knew that it made me feel ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you mentioned about the them telling you, you know, you speak English well, I wish sometimes I could go back and kind of like snap back at these people and be like, why is the floor hot there or something, right? Or, or like, oh yeah, you speak English well too. Good job for us, right? You know, like to just make them feel silly yeah. about what they just said. Because a lot of times people aren't telling you something to be mean. They may not even realize what they've said to you. You know, we can't just assume that these people are, because there's things that we say and do that we may not even realize. 
we're doing. Oh yeah. No. Yeah. And like the program that I went in rehabilitation counseling. So it's really a specialty in counseling focused on disability advocacy and helping people with disabilities find employment. And I had to really learn how me as a Hispanic saw people with disabilities because growing up, we would be, Ay, está malito, or mm-hmm. like, Ay, no, you don't stare yeah. because, you know, and like, you know, that or, 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 or like using words like retarded and those kinds of things. And I'm like, oh, like, oh my God, like that's how my, that's how they, they taught me. And so really had to learn all of that, relearn um, how to be able to advocate for people with disabilities. Because for, in in my family culture, we were just like, don't stare, está malito, like something's wrong with them, you know, um, very seen as very indifferent, marginalized. Like, so yeah, I think our experiences really do shape like how, we perceive things. And then until we're in a place where we can educate ourselves and really unlearn some of the things that we've learned growing up. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes when we have those experiences with, you know, white folks, it's like, they may have never come across um, someone to educate them about are, you know, like that we're both American and that we're, that we both can speak English. Like, it's just, it's, it was, it was crazy for me when I, when I was sitting there, I was like, um, okay. Like, I didn't even know how to react. I was like, "Mm, I don't know. Now I know, right now I, I can stand up for myself and advocate for myself and let that be a teaching moment for them. But before I was like, Oh my gosh, I don't know. <laughs> and also like this halo effect. Do you know about the halo effect, right? Like when we perceive someone as attractive or are in higher ranking or of authority, we um, now trust them more. And that's what I, I realized that I had for white people. Like this this halo effect, like that they were good people, um, you know? And so unlearning that, unlearning that not all white people are good people or do good yeah. things. You know, so it's just, yeah, a lot of relearning and unlearning. Yeah, I hadn't heard of it before. And I don't think I've ever, I I don't, I think I probably don't trust people. So, (laughs) (laughs) which could be from your experience, right? Like, but yeah, it's the tendency um, for positive interactions uh, or positive friendship of a specific person. So it's like we know, like, we think of someone who's blonde, blue eyes, like, we immediately trust them or any person who's attractive, like, that you're like, if you go to the doctor's office and your doctor's really attractive, like, you're more likely to trust them. Yeah, I just keep thinking, yeah, no, I don't give anybody my trust. <laughs> like, you got to earn it. And if you are blue eyed and blonde, I'm sorry, guys, if you are, this is not a, this is not directed to you directly. But I had an experience with my freshman year. I had a blonde hair, blue eyed roommate, and I was super excited because I'm like the exact opposite. I don't look as brown as I did back then, but I was very brown because I would spend all my time outside. Um, And so Mm. I remember being super excited and then she did not want to be my friend. I don't know, like the reason why we never really got Mm. to connect. And so, you know, from then on, like, I'm like, well, screw you then. Like, you don't want to be my friend. Fine. Uh, Anyway, that's a whole other tangent. But yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Rejection and friendship is so real. And it could definitely, those little moments can define how we, you know, trust people, how we like put ourselves out there. So I get it, you know, trust is a hard thing. And I'm glad that you put, you know, a standard to have people earn your trust. Like, I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. It's a balance, guys, because you do have to Mm -hmm. be willing to trust people too. Mm-hmm, for sure. So now share with us how your career has unfolded since completing your degrees and to where you are now. Yeah, I honestly never thought that I would be a mental health therapist with my own private practice. Um, well, during school, I was working as a graduate assistant um, for a minority program to help um, Hispanic Black students get into the field because we really needed more Latinos, uh, more people of color in the field. And so I was helping that doing that. And then I got a job as a job coach, job placement person. So basically I would help people with disabilities, um, variety. So whether they have anxiety, whether it was a physical impediment, or if they had a developmental issue, I would help them job coach. So if they would, let's just say we had a kid who worked, wanted to work at Kroger's, we would help them learn how to do the job in their own way, really focusing on their strengths versus focusing on their limitations. So I did that. I loved working with that population. I just loved giving people access to have their own money like and to be able because having your own money gives you access to other resources and I just love that idea and I never knew that there was that type of counseling and that type of specialist that you could be that so I did that but ultimately I wanted to work for Texas Workforce Commission as a vocational rehab counselor and I remember um just really wanting this. I kept applying to places, did interviews, um, and I kept getting rejection after rejection after rejection. Finally, I was able to get the job only to realize that I did not love that job. (laughs) I hated it. I hated it. I loved the people that I worked with, but truly your team is going to make a big impact. Like the people that you work with not the people that you served, the people that I served, I loved the people that I worked with. And just the because it was a government job working for that agency, there was a lot of bureaucracy. And there was a lot of just like, you were just a small little person compared to the whole system. And so it triggered back my need to achieve my need to people please. Um, I saw myself people pleasing with my boss and just constantly driving myself basically to burnout. So I was there for about two and a half years until finally I said, you know what, I really want to move on. So I started applying to other places and At the time, I had started my podcast, uh, Café with Monica, to really just talk about mental health issues I was really passionate about. And I really wanted to put my passion and focus into something. Um, And while also getting my internship hours, I was now already trying to get licensed as a therapist, but never to work for someone else. I just wanted the license. And doing this podcast, I just wanted for people to get to know me and things like that. So I was still in this agency job, doing the podcast, getting my licensing hours. And finally, you know, I applied to UTA, which is University of Texas in Arlington for a disability specialist job, uh, because I was not ready to go on my own just yet. I was like, 
no, I still want the stability of a nine to five. And so that experience completely changed the way I see leadership. I had such an amazing leader. I cannot, looking back, like my boss was just so great. I'm glad that I came from that burnout experience to her and working for her team because she valued self-care, valued rest, always was checking in to make sure we were doing great. I had amazing coworkers, um, really developed good friendships there. And it also gave me the mental space to start working on outside things, which finally was, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to build my business. I wanted to do things on my own terms, but now I'm coming out of it at a place of not survival, but more so passion and, you know, and purpose. And it wasn't like, oh, I'm just trying to get to the next step because I'm just sober now and out from here. No, I remember it was October. It was September of 2020. And at the time I was already doing my private practice part-time. So timeline, agency job, moved to the university job, got licensed, opened up my practice part-time again, still thinking I'm just doing this for money on the side. Like I love this thing, but I'm, I still have my nine to five, still have my stability to then September, 2020, where I'm like, I really need to do this full time. I'm ready. Like I feel so ready. So outside of my, like no longer burnt out, I feel good. And so I, we were all still quarantined, I think, or we're all still working from home. And I, teams to my boss. And I was like, I have to tell you this, but I'm ready to move on and take my business full time. And she was super aware already about my business. And she was, and she was like, you know, we hate to like for you to go, but you know, we're going to cheer you on and we're excited for you. And that's where now I'm full time as my own business owner, private practice owner. And I work with ambitious women and women entrepreneurs to help them deal with just like the everyday struggles and mental health concerns. And I love what I do, but that was basically my journey. Like it was crazy right out of school thinking, this is what I want. I wanted a nine to five agency job. Like I felt my path was so clear And then being very discouraged that when I was there, it just wasn't what I imagined it would be. Yeah. Yeah. That happens really often. Like we think Mm -hmm. we know what we want and there's nothing wrong with, you know, ending up in the wrong place, quote unquote, because nothing's ever wrong. It's a learning experience. Right. Because, you know, you, you still had, like you mentioned, you know, you got all of that re-triggered. So Mm -hmm. you still needed to work on those. A lot of times we find ourselves in the same place, no matter what job we get, because it is, you know, re-triggering something we still need to work on. I absolutely always will tell a client not to run away from a job because so many people do that. We expect that, you know, the next job is going to be different, but guess what? We're still the same person. So it's not going to be any different. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you get a good boss that kind of helps you along the way. Yeah. And I will say this though, um, Yes, I do believe you because yes, I was re-triggered and that's why in 2019, before I went into my job at the university, I started therapy up again and I was able to just have so many amazing breakthroughs of childhood experiences that I hadn't really unpacked to where I felt so good about applying for that job, taking the interview. And then when my boss, because she's a good boss, also 
enforcing my boundaries, which I had no boundaries in my previous job. It was my first job, like first real nine to five job out of school. Every before then I was just working either part-time or as a contractor, never nine to five. I was also really young. Everybody else was a little bit older than me in that agency. So I felt like I had to prove myself. So again, that re-triggered, right? Like this idea that my worth is like only on the things that I do and then that the imposter syndrome. So yeah, going back to therapy in 2019 and that year, that's when I make the move. But I was actively working on myself and actively identifying, okay, if I'm going to move to this next job, because I, I agree with you, leaving a job, just running away from a job, expecting a different result is such a bad move. It's only a matter of time before you're back with the same tendencies, because ultimately you have control over your actions and reactions. So yeah, definitely. I had more boundaries. I would say no. Now I was okay with just doing my job. And even my a hundred percent or even 75% was way better than other people. So <laughs> I was like, I believed in myself. I believe in my work ethic and just allowed myself to slow down. Like there was nothing. I didn't have to prove myself. Like I was a good worker and really understanding my value and what I bring to the table really helped now as well as a good team dynamic. So yes, totally agree. Yeah. And as high achievers, right? What we believe to be like a hundred percent might actually be like 400% for <laughs> yeah. the company. <laughs> so you got to take that into perspective too. Um, something you said, oh man, I should have wrote it down. I'll try to remember what I was going to ask you, but I'll ask you the next question while I try to remember mm -hmm. what I was going to ask. But what has been the most influential experience in your career so far? I'm going to, I want to share this story about when I was in that agency and I was start, I was going to the therapy and I was now starting to enforce my boundaries before I was leaving. So this is my manager because my manager, I had just the hardest time to say no. And it was so influential because I remember her coming into my office and saying like, Hey, we're adding these extra things on your plate. Granted, I was the youngest with the least experience. There was all these other senior counselors, but basically they couldn't give them more work because that's just how things were right. Like they basically worked here. They earned their time. Mm -hmm. There you go. <laughs> they earned their time. So of course everything's going to fall on me. So then she's telling me like, I'm going to put more of these things. And I'm like, well, if you're going to add those things, I need you to remove X, Y, and Z because I can't add any of that. And she was like, no, I know you can do it. I know you can do it. And I was like, I appreciate you believing in me and feeling like I can, but I know personally I cannot. And I remember her walking away and I'm sitting there in my office and I'm like, cause she just walked away. She's like, mm. and she just walks away. I wish people could see my face, but she's like, she's walking away. <laughs> And in my, I'm like, oh my God, this is what putting boundaries in place is, right? Because I put boundaries in place, but never with like just high conflict. And so she walks away. I sit in my office and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I immediately want to go and take everything I just said back. It felt so uncomfortable, but I didn't. And that was the one where I'm like, mm that's such a good moment for me. That's such a, like, I, that was a very influential moment for me because there are going to be people in your life who are going to push you or, you know, want you to push through something, but you ultimately know how far you can go. 
And that was super influential for me. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I actually remembered what I was going to say and ask. Um, and this totally relates to. So, you know, as a first gen professional, you don't have anybody to ask these questions to. You don't have anybody to tell you like, nah, girl, don't don't be putting <laughs> up with that. Like, you know, talk to them. You know, here's the professional way to say this. Here's the professional way to send, you know, set these boundaries. And as first gen professionals, like we don't have anyone right and i know if i go to my parents and tell them like i'm struggling at work and they're telling me to do this my mom and dad are just gonna be like pues aglo. like right. what else I are you gonna do do the job you know whatever and my mom too like i like now that i'm an adult and i'm telling my mom about my experiences my mom was such always a good advocate for me and she was always like no, like, you know what you have to do, like, it's not okay. But even then she would share also because she was also working a nine to five had bosses. And she was like, I struggle with that too. Like, I, because she didn't have anybody to tell her what to do, how to do things. I mean, she worked her way up. And while some people are coming in with education, exactly where she's at, and she's only got experience, she ha doesn't have the educational background. But so it, it's cool to see like the difference and how she also struggled with it too. So I was glad I was able to share that with her. Um, and I would just cry and, and she was good. And, and that was part of my healing journey too. Like when I was in therapy, healing that relationship with my mom. Um, and now we're able to have those kinds of conversations. But I know that a lot of Latinos don't have have that type of, you know, conversations or, you know, talking about heavy topics like Black Lives Matter and all these different things. Like it's hard to talk about those things with family when they come at you with the not so great empathy. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, they're really just trying to encourage us, yeah. right? Like they're not trying to dismiss our feelings or our thoughts or any of that. They just really want to, you know, they're trying to pick us up in the way that they know how. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now what has been some of the worst career advice that you believe you received so far? Um, just keep working really hard and eventually like good things will happen. <laughs> Here's the thing. And that's something I had to unlearn. If you work really hard, good things will happen. Sometimes you can work really hard and terrible things happen. So it's never guaranteed. So work at the pace that feels right for you if you advocate for yourself, like those are the things that not just working hard. Yeah. Yeah. I always to the working hard. I always think my parents work hard. They work hard and they did not get any career opportunities from working hard. Yeah. It's the network it's building connections and, and, and granted that's work, you know, that could be hard work, but I always had trouble with the 80, 20, uh, rule. Like is it eight, eight, 20% of the effort leads to 80% of the results. I was like, what? Like, no, 100% of the effort, you know? So yeah, like having to unlearn that, that was the worst advice I got. All right. So now let's hear what has been the best career advice that you've received? The best career advice was, this is just a job and you have a whole life outside of this. And that was something that the nine to five that I had just left in, in, in October of 2020, that was my boss. She was like, this is just a job. Like you get to live your life outside of this. Like that's, this is just a vessel for you to be able to live your lifestyle. And this is only one part of your identity. This is not everything. 
And that's the greatest advice I got because yes, like I don't work. What is it? I, I don't live to work. I work. Uh, yeah. You know? I don't live to work. Mm-hmm. I live, live to work. work. I don't know. Yeah, whatever, whatever the things. saying is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know what the saying is, but yeah, like I, I, I want to be able to have the lifestyle that I love and I'm glad that my work and what I do is a vessel of that. And it's only part, one part of my identity versus all my identity. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important. And what a blessing to have someone tell you that, right? This is just a job because sometimes that's what we have to remind ourselves. Like this is the job that's paying the bills for the life that I want. And ultimately I have the option to change it, but maybe you don't want to, maybe you just need to accept that. Okay. I'm okay where I'm at and I have to accept that. Mm -hmm. Oh, now what career advice do you have to share with my audience? Um, You're not always going to love what you do every single day. And that's okay. Like there's going to be fluctuations in your emotions and feelings about what you're doing right now. And that is okay. And just because you love it doesn't mean you will not have hard days. And just leaning into that, like that is okay to have hard days. Because I think sometimes like as, as an entrepreneur, they're like, well, you're doing what you love. Shouldn't you just be happy? And it's like, sometimes <laughs> days are hard and it's okay to have those hard days. Sometimes things are challenging. And yes, I love what I do, but if I'm having a hard day, I'm going to feel my feelings. So feel your feelings and understand that even though it's a job that you love, it's okay. It's not like it sometimes. Yes. Yes. I love that. Feel the feels. So much of everything that we're taught goes against feeling the feels, but we need to, we need to be able to heal. Absolutely. And so now tell us how we can reach you and then also what you have going on, Monica. Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me on Instagram at Guffet with Monica. You can also check out my podcast if you are an ambitious woman, woman entrepreneur, and you just kind of want to learn from other people's stories and journeys Then Guffet with Monica on any podcast platform. And what I have going on right now is honestly, I'm in a season of just rest and intention. And I have offers like I do therapy here in Texas. If you're in Texas, I do mental health coaching. If, if you need that kind of guidance in your business as an ambitious woman, some more mindset work. So yeah, but right now I'm just kind of living my life intentionally, not really worried about like all, all the things I'm just being very present right now. So that's, what's going on. Thank you so much. And I'll be sure to include all the links and everything in the show notes. Thank you again for being here with us and sharing your career journey, being vulnerable. And yeah, I just loved everything. Thank you. Thank you so much, Norma. Thank you for listening to the Manifest Your Career podcast with me, your host, Dr. Norma Reyes, a career and mindset coach. Learn more today on manifestyourcareer.com.